Hey everyone, welcome to Emmanuel Fellowship's podcast. This is Pastor Trent, the founding pastor of Emmanuel Fellowship, a church in South Minneapolis that exists to serve our city and to live for God's glory. Thanks for tuning into our podcast. We pray that this message encourages you to follow Jesus and to see his presence and power everywhere in your life. The other day I went to the doctor for something and while I was waiting um, and sitting with the nurse, um, we found out that we each happened to have four kids, um, spaced about two years apart between each kid. And the, the only difference being that my oldest is just a little bit younger than her youngest. So immediately there was a connection. Um, we started a conversation talking about what life with four kids was like and swapping stories. And um, <laughs> it was good because she told me you can survive. Um, so I took that as like the gift of the Lord to me um, at the doctor's office. But um, she also said the craziest thing about kids is that one moment they are at each other's throats. <laughs> but then the next, they're happily playing. Cute as could be, hugging one another, loving one another. And that's something that kids just have a unique quality for. And I don't know what it is as we grow to adulthood where we lose that capacity. But um, I, uh, I realized that that sort of fighting ability of a kid is, is an interesting one. And it makes me wonder, when's the last fight that you've had? Was it with a coworker? Was it with a family member, a friend, with a spouse? And the odd thing about conflict with someone, if you don't have an allergic reaction to it like a lot of Minnesotans do, is that um, whether you are a um, attacker, like you are in it to win it, or you're a withdrawer and you just prefer to avoid, um, conflict brings out some of the worst stuff within us, whether we think it or whether we say it. Fighting words have a way of revealing what's really within us. And my guess is that at some point after a conflict, you have felt at the very least convicted and perhaps at times unclean. Well, well, Jesus is in another fight today in Mark chapter 7. He is in conflict again. And before we dive into this great chapter of Mark's gospel, what I want to do is sort of overview the stories, the components of it, and try and put them in a little bit of plain language so that you can see, and then we can dive in and uh, encounter the points that I believe God has for us, okay? So here's what happens. The Pharisees come from Jerusalem up to the north of the area to discredit Jesus. They've heard the news that he went about and fed 5,000 people somehow from a few loaves of bread and some fish. And, and so what they do is they come onto the scene seeking to discredit the miraculous work that he has just done by saying that, this great host, the king who's offered a feast in the green grass to all of these people, has done so with unclean hands. He has been defiled and offering defiled food, that is food where the hands and the cups and whatever else was served with, was not washed according to the strict standards of the religious elders in Jerusalem. And so Jesus puts them on prophetic blast. He's like, okay, so you want to come here and you want to talk about following the rules. Okay, let's talk about the rules that you make up. And let's talk about the rules of God that you avoid. And then let's talk about how oppression gets brought on to the elderly. And then your own sort of self-righteousness for your group to separate yourselves from the rest and then gain a false sense of being clean. Jesus 
puts them on prophetic blast, and then Mark, the gospel writer, shows us two stories to prove his points. Let me get into it. The first point that you need to see today from Mark chapter 7 is that our world promotes cleansing from the outside in. Our world promotes cleansing from the outside in. In an attempt to discredit Jesus, they assert his defilement and their cleanliness. Let me read it for you. I'm going to pick up in verse 5. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders? But you eat with defiled hands. And he said to them, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship the teaching they worship me, teaching the doctrines as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God, but hold to the tradition of men. This prophet that Jesus is quoting is Isaiah. And Isaiah speaks an oracle of judgment against Jerusalem itself, against the holy city back many, many years ago. And Jesus is picking up on those words to help these people see that even though they honor with their lips, their hearts can be lost. They can miss the boat completely, exchanging God's word for their own traditions. And this, as Jesus sort of gets into the weeds of their own practices, is done by what they call Corbin. Okay, all right, so let's, let's read on. As he said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses speaks, or said, honor your father and mother. And whoever speaks evil, or reviles, father and mother must surely die. But you speak, if a man speaks or tells his father and mother, whatever you would have gained from me is Corbin that is given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the words of God by your tradition that you've handed down, and many such things you do. Okay, Corbin is an example of Jesus pressure, Jesus' prophetic word to them that they leave God's commandments and they hold to their own traditions. Here's what's going on. When someone said that what, his, what was his, his inheritance, his money was Corbin, that means, as Jesus said, given to God, what he was then able to do was to give the inheritance that was coming to him from his family, often in an agrarian society, the land or potentially some money, and then give it to God, which was, of course, giving it to the rulers or leaders of God, the priesthood, the Pharisees. So this person then could give to the Pharisees or to the religious elite money and therefore gain benefit for themselves rather than use their inheritance to care for their aging parents. Jesus is saying, you have a practice that on lip service is giving to God, but in reality is stealing from widows. That's what he says later in Mark's gospel. You sow inheritance into the religious system for what it gains you. And therefore, rather than honoring father and mother and receiving the promise, that's what the actual Ten Commandments say. There's a promise that it will go well with you if you honor your father and mother. Jesus withholds that and says, actually, judgment, curse is coming. Because you do not honor father and mother, but exchange God's word for your tradition. The problem with this whole practice is, it appears clean, religious on the outside. 
but on the inside it's contaminated. Right? It has the appearance, Corbin, as a practice in that day, had the appearance of giving things to God, but, but if the person gave to God, then what it did was it made them appear clean as, as, as a standing person in the religious elite. Or if it didn't give appearance of cleanliness, it gave acceptance by those who held the cleanliness standard because it was not really given to God so much as to the leaders of God's people, the people that anybody who was very religious would want acceptance from. So by giving the inheritance that was due to your own parents, you were able to gain acceptance by the popular party. Or perhaps if it wasn't acceptance, it was achievement. Because if I could give money here and gain a standing of the accomplished religious person, having sacrificed for the advancement of God, you could be, by your success, one who says my stains are silent. But the reality is, this appears well on the outside, but it's contaminated on the inside. And Jesus sees right through their system and charges it with the judgment that it deserves. Here we are. Jesus speaking to the heart in all of its brokenness and our modern sensibilities real at these accusations that somehow even in religion the heart could be defiled and contaminated underneath the surface of all that appears good and right. But that's because our world promotes cleansing from the outside in. If you would do these things to appear well or to be accepted by some or to achieve this or that, then you may be cleansed on the inside. If you live like this, if you act like this, if you accomplish this, then you will be clean. But despite the pushing of the goodness of the heart, which our society has done for years, there's something within us that still senses our stain. The prophets say, you can honor with lips, but have hearts that are lost. And Jesus echoes that today. Second point, God's word provides cleaning from the inside out. The world promotes cleaning from the outside in, but God's word provides cleaning from the inside out. If we continue reading in verse 14, I'll show you not just the prophet's word, but the parable of Jesus, the prophet, right? Here's verse 14. And he called to the people again and said to him, hear me, all of you, and understand. There's nothing outside of a person that by going into him can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered a house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. Remember, they don't really get the parables, so we should maybe have some pause to see if we do too. But he said to them, Then you are also without understanding. Well, teach us, Jesus, please. Right? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from the outside cannot defile him, since it enters not the heart, but his stomach? And out of a person and is expelled. Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, What comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these things come from within, and they defile a person. Here is the confrontation of Jesus. Do you see here his emphasis on the heart? and its defilement, and then the very clear teaching that it is not the external 
but the internal realities of our heart that reveal our stains. The word of Jesus is honest about the problem within us and within this pharisaical group. Like, and Jesus knows that you cannot change what you don't confront, that unless you define the problem, you never defeat it or get around it. And so he seeks to laser focus in on the part of the matter, which of course is the heart. He confronts their entire practice of the cleanliness laws. And considering that they've sort of like created a system that oppresses the aged and then are benefiting on it, right? Robbing widows' houses. It, it seems like he would just do away with cleanliness, uncleanliness altogether. We don't need that. That's old. But Jesus comes not to abolish the law, but what? To fulfill the law. And so in order to do that, he's got to capture their attention. He's got to capture their attention. And to do so, he uses some potty talk. I mean, he uses graphic language to help them see the absurdity of their washing as a ritual for cleaning what's really defiled, which is inside. Jesus, according to Eugene Peterson's translation of the Bible, the message, says this. He calls the crowd together again and he says, Listen now, all of you, and take this to heart. It's not what you swallow that pollutes your wife, but it's what you vomit, that is the real problem. Now, you could even say it's not just what comes up, but Jesus is saying food comes in and goes down and therefore doesn't pollute you, but it's what's inside the heart, not the stomach. It's, it's not that only the spiritual matters or only the religious matters according to Jesus. It's, it's, the, it's not even only that what you feel in the heart matters to Jesus. Jesus is pressing the connection between the heart and between your habits of life. The connection between your being who you are and your doing how you act, that matters for Jesus. And his challenge then for how to live is actually far more stringent, far more challenging than the ritualistic washing of the Pharisees. The sting of the parable Jesus tells though, is that it confronts them, but it doesn't clean them. Right, the parable says it's not what you eat, but what you express that stains you. But he doesn't say how to become clean. He does leave a clue though. Food only enters the stomach. But perhaps there is something that could enter the heart and therefore make it clean. What can enter the heart? What can work within us so that we are cleansed from what truly defiles us? Now, notice the, the different ring in Jesus' approach to the heart than what you and I are used to hearing about our hearts. We're used to hearing, follow your heart and discover your passion and find your true identity, right? That's where goodness and righteousness and cleanliness comes from. That's where satisfaction in life comes from. We, we hear, follow your heart, it'll show you the way, right? Don't think. Just go where your heart takes you. If you don't follow your dreams, chase them. And of course, the biggest adventure you can take in life is to live the life of your dreams. But listen to New Testament scholar N.T. Wright and what he says Jesus is saying. Jesus is not saying that if we get in touch with our deepest feelings or learn to listen to what our heart is truly telling us, we will find our real identity and thereby discover happiness, fulfillment, or whatever. He, Jesus, is insisting that good and bad, external and physical actions come from internal spiritual sources. 
that therefore the poisoned wells of human motivations are the real problem to which the purity laws all throughout the scriptures are pointing. We cannot isolate one part of our makeup and blame it for evil. It is our core that is given to sin. And Jesus then shows that he has been reading the scriptures and that he is the fulfillment of all of these cleanliness laws. The one that was pointed to in Ezekiel 36 when the, when the prophet said, I will sprinkle, the Lord saying, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness. And from your idols, I will cleanse you and I will give you a new heart, a heart of flesh and a new spirit I will put within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh and will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Jesus has come to fulfill the cleanliness laws. Listen to N.T. Wright again. The scripture spoke of purity and the code that was set up was a signpost to it. But Jesus here now is offering the reality. And when you arrive at a destination, you don't need the signposts anymore. These washing of hands, this rituals of cleanliness, because you've arrived at the destination. And it's not the signposts were worthless, but you don't need them anymore because precisely they were correct. And you've arrived at the destination. The destination here, of course, for Jesus is to see that the heart is in need of cleansing. That not just the external, but the internal is in need of radical cleanliness before God and before others. And that is something we are to seek. Not only does God's word provide us with the clue that, that, that there is a cleansing needed on the inside, right? But, but Jesus then proves God's work. In these two following stories. Now, the thing about Mark, you have to understand, is that he's writing carefully. He's not just sort of slapping stories together. He's intentional. Jesus wants them to understand, and Mark wants us to understand Jesus. And so, coming out of this teaching in parable on that you can be cleaned from the inside out and must be, Jesus shows two stories of cleaning. Right? And he arose from there in verse 24 and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and did not want anyone to know. Yet he could not be hidden. But immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. And now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth. And she begged him to cast out the demon out of her daughter. Remember the language? And he said to her, let the children be fed first. For it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, For this statement you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. Do you see it? We have an unclean spirit and an unclean woman, a Gentile, coming and falling before Jesus in desperation, begging him 
for a cleansing from the inside out. Literally, that there would be a spiritual removal from the inside out so that this daughter would be made well. And, and what we see here is this astonishing woman. It's not as if the woman is correcting Jesus or if the woman is, or if Jesus is shaming the woman by any means, but you see her heart is soft in a way that the Pharisees is hard. Where they have set aside the authority of God and the commandment of God, the revelation of God for their own traditions, she has come and said, my own traditions must bow before the authority of God who has said he's working a special work in the Jewish people. And that the Gentiles would come second when the Redeemer bringing freedom was to appear. She is submitting to God, honoring his authority, saying, saying Jesus is a host. Jesus is a king. And the feast that he's provided, if I could just get crumbs from the table, I would be fed. And she is. By the softness of her heart, by the genuineness of her faith, and 31, then he turned from the region, returned from the region of Tyre and Sidon and went to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. So he's been outside of Israel's borders and now he's back in Israel. And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment. And he begged him to lay his hand on him. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears and after spitting, touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Apatha, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. And Jesus charged them to tell no one. But the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. So we have an unclean woman with an unclean daughter coming and begging for cleaning from the inside out. And then here we have an incommunicative man, a man who can't speak, a man who can't hear, and by his very presence, as a demonstration, he sort of begs the question of Israel as the ones who can't hear nor speak. The inability to clean themselves is apparent. And here's the foreshadowing of Jesus' mission at present and the coming of his kingdom in the future that the Gentiles will hear the word of Jesus and receive it with faith and cleanse and cleansing this power of the gospel advancing through them. But the Jews, the very people Jesus is a part of and sent to would be touched by his cleansing word and yet ultimately reject the cleansing. I mean, think about this. The very heart of Jesus, like out of his innards, spits saliva from within him comes spit that cleans this man. It shows his heart. The response of the religious leaders, the stories at the end here, they ask us to, to, to ponder our own hearts in contrast to the heart of Jesus. Out of the human heart flows uncleanness. Whatever we touch becomes stained. And there is something in our own nature that, that attracts and even draws sin, stain, and death. But the Jews, whatever they touched, would then become defiled as well. It's like you and me, whenever we're squeezed, whenever we're stressed, maybe whenever we fight, what comes out of us is sin. 
often when we're sinned against. But out of the divine heart of Jesus comes purity, such that whatever he touches becomes pure. This is the king's heart, right? There's no sin within him. And so nothing that he touches can be contaminated by its touch. And everything that he touches becomes made like him as clean. The king's heart is clean. And having all power has not corrupted it because he's matched all power with all purity. Do you see the heart of Jesus? as good and gracious and kind and patient and pure and powerful. And he is here, still speaking today by his spirit, Epapha. If you have a hard heart, it can be softened. If you have a closed heart, it can be opened. If you have a hurt heart, it can be healed. If you have a defiled heart, it can be made clean. Are you cleaning yourself from the outside in? Have you run the treadmills of acceptance, appearance, and achievement for so long your heart has become hard? Look with me at Jesus. He's done all things well. He alone can cleanse you from the inside out. And not merely cleanse you, but then send you. Telling of the marvelous things that he's done. Will you come to him to be cleaned? And will you go to him to declare he is the Christ? Father, thank you for your word. May you use it to clean your people, showing your power, so that we might be free from serving you for the wrong reasons, and that we might go for you for the right reasons. God, would you heal? Would you open? Would you soften? Would you move in a powerful way in the hearts of your people today so that we could declare the marvelous things that you have done? For truly, Jesus, you have done all things well. In your name we pray.